You're listening to Unite and Heal America. This is Matt Battern, your host. And today I've got a great guest on the program, Michelle Moore. Michelle uh, recently wrote a book, Rural, Rural Renaissance. Uh, and uh, I've read a bit of the book. It's very interesting, very intriguing. Gives a bit of the history about uh, power in this country uh, in terms of electrical power, that is, but also as it's connected to political power and uh, how it relates to democracy on a small d, big, you know, basis, and that how our power companies, many times, uh, two thousand plus of them are are small companies or moderate sized companies that uh, generate and distribute power throughout the the country and how important that is. Uh, And uh, Michelle has got quite a resume Had worked in the Obama White House and uh, had had worked on rolling out uh, their initiatives and then went back to her rural roots and in Georgia and now is uh, doing a lot of great work there on the ground. Uh, Michelle, great to have you on the program and uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your journey to uh, getting to the environmental movement and uh, uh, what what work you're engaged in right now. Thank you so much, Matt. It's a blessing to be here with you today. And, um, you know, and, it, and it's just really been a, a blessing to do this work. You know, it, it, as you shared, I'm from a small town in Georgia. I'm from LaGrange, Georgia. And growing up there, I have to tell you, it was um, my worst nightmare as a teenager to think about going off to college and ended up back at home again, um, working in a a textile company. But um, that's exactly what happened. And it really showed me working for Interface and and really being mentored by the, the wonderful Ray Anderson, who was the founder and founding chairman of that company, how we can do well by doing good and how doing right by the environment, doing right by people, doing right by the economy, all works together harmoniously. And that experience and that principled guide has really been the North Star for me throughout my professional career. And the work that I do now as the CEO of Groundswell, uh, the work that I share in Rural Renaissance is really about bringing, for me, you know, 25 years plus of experience and um, a, a whole lot of lessons learned from the, you know, from the good stuff and from the hard knocks you take too, and how to better serve. You know, how can we go back to our hometowns? How can I go back to my hometown and um, really help people and help people cut their bills, help people get a better job, you know, help support entrepreneurialism and rural business and quality of life. You know, at the same time, we're all you know going through this clean energy transition together and building better energy futures. Well, tell us a little bit about how that works on, on the micro level and in terms of your work at uh Groundswell and and that organization and what its mission is and and what its accomplishments are. So Groundswell's mission is building community power. And we mean that in every sense of the word. You know, we develop community solar projects and community resilience and energy efficiency that helps people cut their bills and live comfortably, you know, in a more comfortable and and healthy home. And uh, we do research And we work alongside our partners in the field, um, just really trying to get good things done. 
And um, what does that look like on the ground? You know, I'd, I think to answer that question, I'll maybe zoom out just a little bit, you know, because when we, when we think about climate and clean energy and when it gets talked about in the national stage, you know, oftentimes what we're talking about is pollution and pollution reduction, you know, gigatons of GHG emissions reduction and, you know, measures and policies that can seem, you know, really far away. And as a local person, um, trying to participate in that conversation can kind of feel like shouting into the wind. And we focus on people's experience. So how can we, you know, get into your home, understand what the opportunity is for energy efficiency to help you cut your bills? You know, how can we look at community solar as a way to share power and share clean energy savings with the local community, uh, you know, from, from my perspective too, and, and from Groundswell's perspective, you know, prioritizing the needs of the people in our community who really need to save on electricity the most. And um, how can we think about pairing batteries with that solar energy, energy storage? Uh, so we're making our communities more resilient in the process. So it's about a whole lot more than just energy and climate. You know, it, it's really about our lives. And um, it's about affordability and it's about quality of life. Well, I think that's what I was struck with by your book is that um, how it's connecting the dots of how we as citizens can play a part in this process. Because as you said, sometimes it can seem a little bit overwhelming when you look yeah. at the IPCC uh, reports, which are you know six inches thick and full of uh, science that PhDs might have a hard time understanding let alone us folks that maybe didn't get science degrees um, and and breaking it down into digestible pieces. And I think one of the things that you talk about in the book, which I've heard some other people talk about, which I endorse, is uh, getting involved in, in our, with our local power companies and, and things like that, uh, because there's a lack of kind of accountability and transparency and, and actual engagement uh, with those entities which have local boards, which are elected, which many of us, well, I think you had said 90% of the people don't vote in these uh, in these elections. So uh, having engagement is, is the first step towards making real change, right? Absolutely. And as you observe, Matt, you know, it's really about energy democracy with a little d. You know, something a, a lot of folks don't realize is that more than 50% of America's landmass is served by rural and public power utilities. So public power utilities like municipal utilities, where the utility is a unit of the local government. And altogether, there are more than 2,000 of them. Every single one of them is governed by a locally elected board or by the local city council. And, um, and those are all opportunities that everyone who was served by these, those utilities have to not just participate, you know, but to really drive the community's vision for its own clean energy future. It's, uh, you know, it, it's also really beautifully paired with the way that energy policy is really structured in our country, um, which is federalism at work. And these rural cooperative and public power utilities. Many of them were created a little, right around a hundred years ago um, during uh, FDR's time as president. And um, they're all about local self-reliance. They're all about community economic development. 
And not only does every single person who's a customer of a rural cooperative, for instance, have a vote for who serves on that board, but every single person who's a customer of cooperative utilities is also an owner of that utility. So it's a really different way of thinking about our, our energy futures and how we express our voice in them than the conventional approach, which focuses on big investor-owned utilities, you know, that are governed by a public service commission and, and, and who, that are a little further away in terms of being able to exercise that little D democratic control. Well, I, I like the idea of uh, people putting up solar arrays on their homes or small businesses uh, or larger businesses or out in farmlands that they might own that that uh, kind of dissipate the power from the power centers and the big power companies to to individuals so that that we have a little bit more control, a little more say in, in how things work and, and that they have less say in how things work. Uh, is a, a win-win situation as far as I'm concerned. And uh, you talk about in your book how there's many uh, governments or governmental entities that have put uh, roadblocks in the way of, of doing that, which is kind of shocking, but uh, not um, completely unexpected. I think when we, you know, when we look at it, we think about our homes, our rooftops, our farmlands, our property, you know, it, to me, it comes down to energy property rights. You know, it's mine and I ought to be able to put a solar panel on it if I want and um, be able to use that energy myself. And um, there are a lot of roadblocks out there for sure, um, but there are also a lot of creative ways around them and ways to build coalitions to be able to move through them together. Right. Well, that's, that's something that, uh, we need to work on in California. I feel like uh, we've done a pretty good job of of creating incentives for people to to use the solar, but it's not uh, probably democratized enough. And people who are wealthier probably has first crack at these things. And you talk about incentives and uh, tax breaks is sometimes favoring people who are wealthier, uh, just kind of inherently because they have tax bills to get relief from where somebody who's poor may not uh, have that uh, have that need. And in those instances, and this is true in California too, community solar is a wonderful way that we can work together and build solar installations. They're going to be able to help serve our neighbors who have less wealth or who may not own their own roof. Yeah. So these are, these are important, uh, you know, pieces of the puzzle going forward to to roll out energy uh, to, you know, to take the place of the dirtier energy that uh, obviously we're still relying upon. Uh, so you'll listen to Unite and Heal America, and this is Matt Mattern, your host, and I've got Michelle Moore on the program. Michelle just uh, wrote a book, Rural, Rural Renaissance, and uh, we'll be back in just one minute to talk to Michelle about... Uh, the work that she's done and, and the work that she's planning to do in the future. You're listening to Unite and Heal America. This is Matt Mattern, your host. We have got Michelle Moore on the program. Uh, Michelle, we were talking right before the break about community solar. Um, tell us a little bit about that concept and how it works in, in practice. 
community solar is, is also known as shared solar. So instead of having solar panels on your home's rooftop or on your business's rooftop that you use you know, behind the meter that only gets credited to your own bill, community solar projects may be a little bigger. You know, maybe they're on a, a disused parcel of land. Maybe they're on a, a bigger rooftop, like a church rooftop in the community. And multiple households, many people, are able to subscribe um, to solar from that centrally located array. So community solar is a really wonderful way to bring the benefits of solar, especially the savings in states like California when there are strong incentives and it can really help you cut your bill uh, to a more economically diverse community of people and also to enable people who rent their homes instead of owning their homes to participate in solar and to be able to get those same benefits too. And uh, how do you see that rolling out? I mean, what's uh, what are the ways that your organization is helping or, or organizations across the country um, working to make community solar more of a reality? Community solar is actually one of the fastest growing segments of the solar marketplace, and particularly community solar projects that are serving households with lower and moderate incomes. You know, so people for whom those savings are really gonna help their family's bottom line. And the way that community solar is growing, you know, it's one more demonstration of energy federalism in America. You know, in some states you can build a community solar project and in some states they're not legal yet um, because the only entity that can sell electricity is the utility you know, not a third party owned solar project. Um, but in our experience, you know, they're, they're really beautiful ways, really beautiful ways um, to, to demonstrate our connection to our neighbors. You know, Groundswell, the organization I lead, has worked with a number of churches and other communities of faith throughout the south side of Chicago, in Baltimore, Montgomery County, Maryland, Washington, D.C., and up in Rochester, New York, uh, to build projects that share power among neighbors. And in some cases, you know, the community solar is helping people who are subscribed save more than $500 a year on their utility bills. So where those solar savings are available, it's a wonderful way um, to make them available to people for whom $500 back in your pocket per year is rent, you know, it's grocery money, it's medicine, and, you know, in the climate we're all living in now, the economic climate, that's also a way to help families push back against the impact of inflation on their household pocketbooks. Well, that's, that sounds great. Uh, I guess I would ask, uh, say if I'm somebody here in California who wants to be involved in a community solar project, um, you know, how does that start? How does that uh, actually work in reality? So in California, um, California has so many different utilities, right? The way that um, community solar works, if your utility is LADPW, is going to be a little bit different than the way community solar works if your utility is PG&E, you know, up in the northern part of the state. But if you want to participate in a community solar project, say, you know, you're living in a condo. Um, or you're renting your home, a great place to start is actually to go to the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, NREL's website. 
they have a database of every single community solar project in the country. Um, and so you can find one near you, literally on an easy to navigate map. Now, if you want to create a community solar project in your community, you know, say you, you are a community of faith and um, you're part of the community of faith, you've got a big old rooftop and you want to figure out how you can share that power. Um, there are a number of wonderful ways to start. Um, you know, I believe in nonprofits and the importance of nonprofits as community service entities. You know, so you could call Groundswell. We could help you get a start. Um, Grid Alternatives is a California-based organization um, that is uh, that is focused on solar that it that supports low and moderate income households with solar savings. So you can connect with Grid Alternatives. Um, is a wonderful place to start too. And there are many other organizations, depending on what part of the state you're living in, you know, that are also working in, in like kind to our mission, which is connecting those benefits of renewable energy um, to low and moderate income communities so that we're really strengthening our communities as we're moving towards a clean energy future. Tell us once again uh, that website that you had mentioned, the National Renewable uh, Solar uh, Organization. It's the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. It's kind of a mouthful. Um, if you Google it, it's the first hit that you'll come to. Uh, you could also um, look us up at uh, groundswell.org, and we'd be happy to also help point you in the right direction. Okay, great. Well, I, you know, it sounds like a great resource. It's one of those things that if you uh, have no idea what you're looking for, you'd never find, but uh, thank True you that. for <laughs> opening up our eyes to new possibilities uh, and our ears. So uh, what other ways you were talking about resilience before and, and, and what uh, types of things is Groundswell doing and other organizations uh, doing in California that uh, could help people in that regard? Well, resilience is another really important benefit of distributed energy technology, right? So it's solar, it's energy storage, and it's the microgrids that help put them together. And when we think about the value of resilience, uh, whether you're building greater resilience in your own home or whether you're building community resilience centers, um, it really helps to meet a point of pain and address the very real vulnerabilities that we're experiencing associated with the impacts of climate change. You know, whether it's uh, families or businesses and communities in uh, California that have faced power cuts um, because of wildfire risks or brownouts uh, because the drought means that there's less hydropower available um, for the state. Uh, Building for resilience directly helps to meet those needs. So what does that mean as a practical matter? You know, if you're thinking about your own home, you know, it could be combining rooftop solar with energy storage, so with a battery in your home. So if the power goes out, you're able to keep the lights on. And um, that energy storage, having that battery incorporated with your solar system means you're going to have energy at night when the sun doesn't shine as well. From Groundswell's perspective, you know, we've been building what we call community resiliency hubs um, for about the past four years. 
uh, working with the city of Baltimore is where we got started. City of Baltimore and Maryland, national leader in community energy resilience. And what's different about community energy resilience is what you might imagine. You know, we're thinking about resilience centers that meet the needs of a whole neighborhood, you know, particularly the most vulnerable among our neighbors. You know, think about elders who may live near you and um, people who may have diabetes, so who have particular health sensitivities to extreme heat or extreme cold. So if the power goes out and the heat or the cool's not on, you know, those are folks who face, uh, you know, in, in, in some cases a real risk of death and uh, serious illness if they don't have access to energy. So community resiliency hubs combine solar and energy storage uh, oftentimes on a community of faith or at a church or in a community center. And they provide places where people can come and gather uh, to charge their phones, stay warm, stay cool, keep medicines refrigerated, stuff like insulin, you know, that has to stay in the refrigerator to be useful. And it just helps us together uh, to face the risks and vulnerabilities that are posed by, you know, the extreme weather that we're experiencing from a changing climate um, in a way that enhances our well-being. Well, certainly we've heard a, a fair amount of talk about microgrids in the past uh, on this show and, and uh, in newspapers and stuff. Um, what is your organization doing apart from what you already described in terms of creating microgrids that um, essentially allow local communities to kind of control their own power and power future? We're getting them built. You know, uh, most people can, you know, a lot, a lot of people have a hard time imagining a, a vision, right? Unless they can see, touch and, and feel it. Um, so we're building stuff so people can see what a clean energy future looks like that's more resilient too. Um, my home state is Georgia and we're in the process now of developing a community resiliency center that's anchored by the Atlanta University Complex. Uh, which is Atlanta's HBCUs and serving the surrounding neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Tell us how how are you doing that in in uh, in reality? Uh, give us give us a little bit more of the details. Okay, so you know when when we begin to to build a community resiliency hub, you know the first thing we do is consult with the community, you know, to understand not only what the community's resilience priorities are, so what's the most important thing, you know, what's the most important resilience service for you to get. And um, we also work with the community to make sure that we're putting them in the right place. You know, where are the facilities that people feel comfortable gathering? In some cases, it may not be what you think. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you're listening to Unite and Heal America. This is Matt Madden, your host, and I've got Michelle Moore, author of Rural Renaissance, uh, a book about uh, bringing power uh, and uh, new hope to uh, rural areas around the country. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be back with Michelle in just one minute. You're listening to Unite and Heal America. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and I've got Michelle Moore on the program. Michelle, author of Rural Renaissance. And uh, Michelle, uh, you're talking about a lot of great stuff. I guess the question is, how do you fund all of this? 
That is great and incredibly important question. And when we're when we're thinking about, okay, we we got we got an idea, we got a vision, uh, we want to build it in our community. How do we pay for it? The first thing we have to think about is where do we live? You know, because energy federalism, right? Everywhere in America, even in California, even if you, everybody lives in California is going to have a little bit different approach uh, to funding and financing and developing resiliency projects, for instance, depending on what kind of incentives or support may be available from your local municipality. And also, um, you know, what kind of incentives or policies or support may be a may be available from your local utility. For example, um, PG&E in the northern part of the state has had a number of community resilience grants. Um, so grants from the utility that help pay for the battery. And if you live in a more rural community, um, you may have different kinds of opportunities still. You know, second piece, and Matt, this is something you talked about, and that's the role of tax credit finance. In, um, in clean energy with the Inflation Reduction Act that just recently got signed into law. The value of the tax credits for both solar and for energy storage increased. So the standard order of business, if you will, is those tax credits are worth 30% of the total value of the project. Uh, but there's an additional kicker now too. If your project is being built in an underserved community or in a community that's considered an energy transition community um, where fossil fuel mining or, or, or burning fossil fuels for energy was a big part of your community's um, economic well-being, um, those tax credits are worth 40%. Clearly, you know, tax credits are only available to people who have wealth or companies who have wealth who can use those tax credits but at 30 or 40%, it's too much value to leave on the table. And the third piece is they're just an increasing array of uh, grants and other programs that are available um, to help buy down the cost of innovative technologies that may still have a little heftier price tag on them. Um, technologies like energy storage and microgrids that turns solar projects into resilience projects too. And particularly if you're in a rural community, if you own a farm, if you're a rural business person, the USDA has a tremendous array of grant funds that are available that will buy down the full cost premium of installing projects like this. Uh, a great program actually is called REAP, R-E-A-P, I think it's Rural Energy for America program, because y'all, it's, it's not energy if there's not an acronym, and uh, REAP grants um, that are available from USDA at the state level are a wonderful way to deploy these technologies for the benefit of your businesses and the benefit of your communities. So that would be for people who are farmers, uh, that they would have the ability to get funds in order to put solar on their properties? Farmers and also rural businesses too, you know. So um, if you're a if you're a banker in a rural community and you own and you own your building, 
or um, if you're the owner of the farmer supply building or you have a gas station that's serving a rural community, you know, there are all sorts of, uh, you know, different types of applications for these kinds of programs and funds. And I know there are a lot of different perspectives out there about whether the Inflation Reduction Act was a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but from my point of view, you know, it's the law of the land now. There are a lot of opportunities there to really build in, you know, to our communities and our businesses, and in many cases, our homes um, in ways that have economic benefits that benefit the climate. So go get that money, bring it home, put it to good use. So I'd, I'd ask you the question of how do you see um, that Inflation Reduction Act uh, affecting your organization and the, the amount of work and good that you can do for your community in particular? I really see it as a great adder. You know, it's like a it's like supercharging the opportunities um, or. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's a supercharge to the opportunities to use clean energy um, to support our communities, to support our families, and, um, and really to connect with economic opportunity and empowerment. I'll give you a specific example. And this is one, um, you know, in, instead of in the clean energy, in the solar vein, rather, is, it is about energy efficiency um, because the Inflation Reduction Act includes a host of uh, new tax credits, expanded tax credits, and also direct consumer rebates for making our homes more energy efficient, including installing new heat pumps, um, new heating and cooling systems, and big ticket items you know, that can be difficult even for a, a middle class or a little more uh, affluent family to afford all in one chunk. So to be able to access those kinds of incentives in a way that cuts our utility bills, reduces climate pollution, supports the environment, um, is a wonderful opportunity that everyone who you know is looking at that utility bill and thinking, man, this is a little too high, or um, whose home has a hard time staying cool on those really hot days, now is the time to look at making those investments to make your home more comfortable, healthier, and more energy efficient. And I'll give you one more example of that because I think this was a really important innovation too. And, it, and it's another way that, uh, um, that it helps us all you know, to, to improve our communities as we're moving towards a clean energy future. And that was expanding the EV tax credit to used EVs too. We all know that a new EV has a pretty, pretty price tag on it or a pretty hefty price tag on it rather. And um, being able to access that tax incentive if you're buying a used EV just makes it accept accessible to a whole lot larger community of people, a much greater economic diversity of people, and increases the chances that those EVs are getting into the, into the hands and into the driveways and the carports, you know, of people who are going to be able to really put the savings from fuel costs to good work. Yeah, that's a that's a great benefit, and I was going to ask you to uh, to drill down a little bit more on heat pumps, and I I think it's one of those things that uh, probably myself and and the rest of the audience know maybe a little bit about, but could use a little bit more information on, and and particularly uh, how the Inflation Reduction Act 
maybe makes that uh, more affordable for people and how it might uh, help save people money on their utility bills going forward. Heat pumps can be a great way to significantly reduce your electricity bill um, without getting too technical. Um, you know, heat pumps really take advantage, geothermal heat pumps in particular, of the fact that, you know, it, it stays pretty cool underground, stays a pretty steady temperature. So by, um, you know, circulating um, a coolant, you know, underground in a geothermal heat pump, be able to more efficiently, you know, cool your home or heat your home um, by taking advantage of what nature already has to offer us. Um, it's not a technology that you can use everywhere. And it is a technology that can be kind of expensive to install. Um, but the Inflation Reduction Act has a very significant um, tax incentive associated with installing heat pumps for your homes and businesses. Um, I don't remember the exact amount. I want to say it's up to $8,000, though. And um, it is a, a wonderful, super efficient uh, technology to consider for your home, you know, particularly if you're at that point where you're ready to change out your heating and cooling system. But there's a great website that you can go to. Um, to learn more specifics about exactly what the Inflation Reduction Act has to offer you as a homeowner, and that's Rewire America. Um, it's just spelled exactly like it sounds, Rewire America. Uh, look them up on Google, and um, it'll break it right down for you. Thank you for that. Uh, it's uh, This is a very important piece of, I, I think, uh, public you know public service is to uh to uh, help americans understand something as complex as the inflation reduction act because as we know it's probably hundreds of pages long it's challenging for the average citizen to dissect it or have the time to do it so you know, it's great to have somebody like you on the show who who understands it and and can help uh, direct us to some information to to break that stuff down. Um, you talked a little bit about infrastructure and how how will um, the IRA and the, the prior infrastructure uh, bill that got passed earlier this year uh, be, be uh, helpful to creating a more sustainable future here? Well, our electrical infrastructure is just as much in need of an upgrade as pretty much every other aspect of American infrastructure too. Um, one of the things that really surprised me when I was researching the book is that the United States experiences more power outages than any other country in the world. And those power outages are getting more frequent and longer, especially for people who live in rural communities. And well, that's, in uh, that's kind of a shocking fact, Michelle, that uh, somehow we uh, outperform the world in power outages, not not a, a title that we really want to hold. Well, you're uh, you're listening to Unite and Heal America, and this is Matt Mattern, your host, and we'll be back in just one minute to talk to Michelle Moore, uh, CEO of Groundswell, also author of Rural Renaissance, uh, a book about uh, rural energy. So we'll be back in just one minute.
You're listening to Unite and Heal America. This is Matt Matter, and I'm talking to Michelle Moore, author of Rural Renaissance, uh, a book that is uh, about rural energy and rural power. Um, Michelle, one of the things we were talking about before the break was the infrastructure and the grid in the United States and, and how dysfunctional it's been, kind of, and that's in many ways, I believe, the cause of all these uh, power crashes that we seem to have, which outperform the world in terms of, uh, you know, industrialized tech leader uh, having these problems kind of uh, embarrassing. Um, To me, it seems like it's in part due to the fact that we don't have really a national system and and national leadership. uh, So we have kind of this crazy, crazy quilt of local and state and, uh, you know, which, you know, on one hand has some strength of uh, having more people involved, but it also creates dysfunctionality of of creating a system that really works for the country in whole. Uh, What are your, uh, you know, thoughts on that? Do you see any improvements coming down the line or are we going to be looking for more dysfunction going forward? Yeah, and and Matt, the fact of the matter is also that a lot of our grid is just really old. You know, it was built between 50, you know, up to 100 years ago. And um, so it's old technology. And we've got a whole lot of new technology available now. And bottom line, it's just time for an upgrade. That as you shared, um, you know, our, our grid nationally, if you will, is a crazy quilt of different jurisdictions. And while there's some federal authority, for instance, through FERC, through the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, that helps to set you know, rules of the road and standards, um, it, we don't have a, a centralized energy policy system. We have a federalist system. And as you shared, that has a lot of strengths and it also presents a lot of challenges. But with the distributed energy technology that we have now, not just with you know, renewables and other kinds of clean energy, with energy storage opportunities, uh, with microgrids, that can be a real game changer so that we're able to upgrade our grid in a way that makes it more resilient and uh, more resilient from a cybersecurity perspective too, I would add, um, and that also is working in alignment with um, you know, the regional or state level or utility level or local level um, control, if you will. I'll give you two quick examples of how that has some real benefits. Rural utilities in Texas you know, are finding that by pairing distribution scale solar, so community solar, think solar that's covering maybe 10 acres of land, you know, so you can kind of get a picture in your mind of what that looks like, uh, with energy storage, they're not only getting a more modern, more resilient grid, um, they're also reducing their infrastructure costs. So it's a net bottom line benefit to the utility too. And even in Alabama, you know, Alabama, where my baby sister lives, um, where a lot of my people are from, uh, which otherwise has what a lot of Alabamians call the solar tax, uh, where the utility makes it just incredibly expensive to try to install solar on your own rooftop. Um, Alabama has also done a really advanced um, pilot 
that has um, energy, clean energy, smart appliances, um, a microgrid, energy storage at a neighborhood scale with a, with a new housing development, essentially, you know, that's also demonstrating how we can deploy a more resilient, uh, more efficient, modern grid with today's technology um, as we're building new and as we're retrofitting old. Um, so the lack of a centralized system makes it hard, but there is still progress that we can make at every level of government, including at the hyperlocal. Well, I, I was uh, encouraged by the, the work that you were describing in your book, Rural Renaissance, and, and uh, describing a lot of leaders at the local level and regional level that are doing tremendous work to to uh, make changes to uh, to our electrical system and to build out solar systems, um, tell us a little bit about what who your mentors were and who you uh, feel like are helping us lead us to a brighter future. There are so many local heroes. Um, all across rural America, uh, rural California, Arkansas, Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina, um, all over the place. And um, a lot of them are just working small, you know, working at the local level and haven't been seen yet. Um, but there are two that really come to mind, um, especially thinking about California. And, um, and that's really the story of two Rays, Ray Leon, who is a mayor in rural California. And um, Racy Anderson, who is one of my mentors in Georgia, and uh, both of them are showing how clean energy can build healthier, more economically vital communities too. Ray Leon in California um, used EVs to create a rural transit system. And so in his community, uh, rural households, you know, rural residents, um, many people who were working in the agricultural industry, you know, would have to drive an hour plus to Fresno to get to a doctor's appointment. And it was very expensive, more than $100 for the trip. I mean, that's as much sometimes as your doctor's bill. And it was real impediment to people seeking medical care that they needed. But by using EVs to create a transit system, um, he was able to cut those trip costs by more than half and, um, you know, really create a, a cleaner energy future that was also meeting a very specific need of the people in the community that he serves. And that example from rural California is an example that rural communities could follow all over America. And because right now, you know, even with gas prices beginning to come down, you know, the average rural family is paying more than $900 more for gas and diesel this year than last year um, because of rising costs. And because when you live somewhere rural, you gotta drive further to get everywhere. Um, so it's a real, um, you know, it's a real practical way to help meet people's needs. And when we're talking about infrastructure too, like we go from the local to the global scale, um, Racy Anderson's daughter, Harriet Langford, um, founded uh, a program called The Ray. And um, it's looking at how our highway systems can become sustainable infrastructure for the future. And the Ray, you know, partnered with an energy research group out of Texas, and they have now published online free for all um, a quantification, not only of how much solar 
could be generated on highway right-of-ways, right? So think about, you know, solar power, being able to charge EV vehicles, you know, right there from the roadway as our technology improves, but also how those same existing right-of-ways could be used for buried direct current cable to not only modernize our electric grid, but also to make it vastly more efficient than it is. Well, that's a great idea. And uh, it's clear to me <clears throat> that our investment opportunities for the future are to invest in our uh, clean energy future and uh, clean water, clean air, uh, and that that's where we should be investing the majority of our investment dollars because our planet depends upon this and uh, we have to put our money where our mouth is. Otherwise, uh, the future looks pretty grim. Uh, quite, you know, you, you set forward an, a number of great examples of people doing work, but um, we need uh, a tremendous increase in, in those efforts in order for us to meet the targets that uh, have been set, right? Absolutely. And, you know, Matt, I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of person. And, you know, for me, the fundamental foundation of my work is my faith, you know, and the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and I know that all good is possible. And I also know that this is America and we're a nation of innovators and we're a nation of local civic leaders too. So no matter where you live, no matter what you do, no matter what scale you work at, right? Whether you're at the local level or whether you're working on the national playing field, there are probably half a dozen great things you could do. And um, I wrote Rural, Rural Renaissance as a roadmap for exactly that. You know, if you're a small town leader, if you're from a small town, if you love your small town, if you're just curious about what rural America can do, um, it's a roadmap uh, for how to um, pick up the baton and um, think about how a clean energy future connects with your community's priorities and needs and um, go out and build something, build a business, build a solar project, build a resiliency project, you know, figure out how to use uh, EVs for your community's transit systems, follow Mayor Ray Leon. Um, there are dozens of great things that we can all do to build better local clean energy futures that help our global community too. Well, that's uh, what I really liked about your book, Michelle, is that you, you really took it from the 30,000 foot level of the national policies and broke it, broke it down to what we can do on a micro level, uh, you know, small scale. And, and that's, uh, that's really valuable. And, and, and it's kind of a roadmap and a toolbox for those of us who want to do work in this area. Sometimes uh, it just, it seems a bit daunting. And, and uh, when you make it a little bit more accessible, okay, I could do this, I could mm -hmm. do that, I could vote for my local water board, or I could, you know, power a uh, company, uh, then, you know, I can take the first step. And so that's, uh, that's a very good message. I really appreciate uh, the work that you're doing. And uh, Wish you all the best in uh, getting your book out there to the masses, uh, Rural Renaissance. Uh, please uh, check it out on Amazon. Great read. I'm, uh, I'm about a third of the way through and I'm really liking it. So, uh, Michelle, uh, thanks for being on the program. This is Matt Mattern, uh, your host of Unite and Heal America. We'll be back next week. Have a great week, everybody. Mm -hmm.
As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. 